Hello there, and welcome to season two of Tales from a Cult Insider. I'm your insider and former unwilling cultist, Jared Garrett. I am here to tell you stories. I'd like to give you a quick recap, and I'll stop talking in this accent right now. So, yeah, I can do okay accents. So, my quick recap, you've all been here before, or at least many of you have been here before. I was born and raised in what absolutely qualified as a cult. It was a commune cult thing. It started out in the 60s, offshooting from Scientology in Oxford, uh, and when it kind of uh, splintered off of Scientology, it was called the Process, later than the Process Church of the Final Judgment, and kind of became a somewhat infamous uh, cult over in the UK, and then a bit in the US as well, after a bit of Canada and Mexico travel. Um, when I was born, the cult broke, broke apart. They called it the Schism, into essentially two organizations, one that still called itself the process that exists to this very day, and another called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium, later the Foundation Faith of God, and now Best Friends Animal Society. Except it's not a cult anymore, and they dropped all culty stuff back in like 94 or 95. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm here to tell you all about growing up in this cult commune uh, setting, and uh, you've already heard a lot of stories if you've come to this episode. This episode is episode number 29, Nighttime Anxiety and Other Ailments Like Allergies. Okay, yeah, I know that's a long title, but I kind of wanted to cover it all. You know, I'm not into clickbait around here, except for that one of my, uh, several of my titles have been clickbaity. Um, I just really wanted to cover what we're going to go over in this, th this podcast episode. I'm not going to threaten that it could be a shorter episode, but you know what? I'm going to do my best not to ramble. But you know what? Also, I've said you know, you know what at least twice now. I'm tired, man. It's been a long, long, busy day full of uh, parent-teacher conferences for two of the kids, uh, back and forth at work for picking up and dropping off from school, a busy, busy, productive day at work, uh, preparing for an event tomorrow where I'm teaching my action scenes class at, at a book academy uh, thing in Heber, Utah, and uh, plenty of other stuff, making dinner, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. And a quick jaunt to Costco. It was good. So it's been busy. I'm tired. I need to go to bed. Uh, however, um, we're going to get right into this. Just as a quick note, remember, I really appreciate it when you review this podcast. It's a possibly unusual podcast because it's just me telling these stories. But this is the kind of thing that gets popular. So you know what? Share it with your friends. Review it. If you are interested in helping me pay for a loaf of bread or something else, there's a link in the in the episode and the podcast description. Uh, I think it's maybe just the podcast description. You can click on it and support it. It's like uh, it's like Venmo, but not really. Um, and yeah, check out uh, my my platform. By the way, the platform's called Anchor. They're really great. I'm gonna have another podcast live with them uh, by probably January 1st if everything goes to plan. So, uh, all of that housekeeping done, let's get right to nighttime anxiety and other ailments like allergies. Uh, I should point out, if you want to ask questions, feel free to email them to jared, that's J-A-R-E-D, at jaredgarrett.com. My email is working again after a kablooey time. Yeah, that's the technical term for it, okay? I don't want to hear your lip. I don't need your sass. Anyway. So, here we go. Um, growing up in a cult in a commune cult, not being raised by your parents, being raised by anybody who kind of was the default person who could do it, and could is a real 
That's a real iffy word, right? I mean, anybody who was willing to or anybody who was just ordered to, uh, that didn't always lead to the most positive of experiences. And I want to start off with um, what I only recently realized was a really strong nighttime anxiety that I had as a young person, starting at around age, it could have been three, honestly, because but a lot of kids, you know, are scared of the dark and we're a little worried about the unknown and monsters. But by the time I was age 11, age 12, it was almost every night that I had nighttime anxiety. So let me tell you how that manifested and what I wound up doing uh, to combat it because I needed to sleep. We all need to sleep. No matter what people say to you, we all need to sleep. Uh, you can listen to me take a little drink of cherry, Coca-Cola Coca Cherry Zero. Here we go. Anyway, so... I actually deleted that sound out. That wouldn't have been very pleasant on your ears. Uh, what, well, what I found myself doing almost every night was, number one, dreading going to bed. Not, not because I wasn't tired. Uh, by the time I was age 13, I was exercising for an hour to two hours every night, uh, lifting weights in the garage at Dixie. Um, this gar the garage was fairly dilapidated. It sort of leaned to one side a little bit. Uh, it had rafters. I had tied uh, a small training bag to it. That didn't really work because it was it's, it's a small training bag. It needs to bounce back and forth on a thing. But we let we swung it around and kind of um, took jabs at it and tried to improve our speed and our hand-eye coordination. But then I later hung a a big heavy training bag from 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 the rafters. I bet that didn't help it structurally, but it didn't collapse on me or anything. So I did a lot of the boxing stuff because Rocky had inspired me. I also um, did a lot of weightlifting. I was I maxed out eventually, but by the time I was 15 or nearly 16, I could, excuse me the, for the sniffle, I, I could max out on uh, all the weights, which equaled about 125 pounds for one of those lifts that you brought it up to your chest and then you did a little lunge and brought it up ahead, above your head. And I'm, I'm demonstrating that if you can see me here. Okay, I know you can't see me here. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I was always plenty tired. Uh, and I also had plenty to read, right? But but I was, I always dreaded going to bed uh, for many, many years because I knew that I would lie there for quite a long time uh, struggling to just fall asleep. Um, and unfortunately, that seems to be a genetic thing. Um, my kids do too. But here's the distinct difference between my kids and me. I would struggle to fall asleep. I had this problem and I tried to, had to find my way, own ways to deal with it. And I found several ways, which I'll share. My kids tell us. <laughs> That's right. They tell us that they're struggling to sleep. We ask in the morning because we see them every day. Our kids, whom we parent because we love and we would never give them up for any reason. We see them every morning. And you know what? We probably ask them almost every morning. We ask them almost for sure every morning. How'd you sleep? And in those situations, because we're a trusted parent whom they love from years of association... Uh, they say, you know, I struggled to get to sleep, right? I, it took me forever to get to sleep. And then we would talk about things, and that's why we have melatonin in the house. Don't, don't, don't come at me with your melatonin warnings. We're very careful, okay? Okay, come at me with your melatonin warnings. I want to know them. But we're very careful with it, and we're careful with all medications. In any case, yeah, so the difference there is that my kids have parents, my wife and me, to help them figure out what they can do about the malady of night anxiety. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons we, one of the main reasons we wound up getting a cat was for one of the kids who has some, who had some anxiety around going to sleep and the, the cat helped. 
uh, brought comfort to the child. So good job. Um, what I did was I would get into bed um, after a routine of brushing my teeth uh, and usually washing my face. Um, I would usually sleep just in my underwear. Hey, lady. I'm just kidding. Don't get the bad image in your face, especially because, ooh, <clears throat> boy, right now, not a great physique to imagine. Um, and uh, I, so I did the routine, and then I'd get into bed, and then I would read. And I would read for as long as I could. And the idea was that I would read until I could fall asleep. And on the nights when I could read until my eyes were closing and the book was falling out of my hand, I got great sleep, really good sleep. But unfortunately, many nights I read and read and read and couldn't get to sleep. I couldn't fall asleep. My mind just kept going. And then there were other nights that I simply couldn't read at night because there were other people in the room and I couldn't keep the lights on. So I used a flashlight, a standard activity, but I didn't always have a flashlight. Um, also lights out was at a certain time and I couldn't actually, I wasn't actually supposed to stay up. And so sometimes I knew that I'd get caught if I was up late reading and so I didn't which was unfortunate because reading was absolutely my best technique for falling asleep eventually it would wind me down in many many, many situations not all the time though so when it wouldn't work I would lie there in my bed or if I couldn't do it I would lie there in my bed and I'd find my heart was kind of pounding a little bit not too bad not as bad as some people at all um, Wondering why I was feeling that way, wondering why I was feeling concerned and worried, uh, and uh, try to talk myself down. And that didn't work. So I wound up actually telling myself stories. Now, I was a fairly, um, you know, imaginative kid, and I believed in true love, and I was interested in sex. Um, so I would tend to imagine, in my, especially as I got older, uh, stories of going on dates and stuff. Now I wouldn't get all too graphic or anything like that because that's gross, man. But I, I would imagine going on a date. I'd imagine, you know, looking at the stars and um, I'd imagine like situations in, a, in high school, you know, which I didn't exist in because I was going to the faith school, which you've heard in the episode faith school. Um, and, uh, you know, I just imagined up all these romantic stories and stuff. Uh, then I'd sometimes also imagine adventure stories, me, the main character, um, I'd imagine me as a spy, essentially. Um, I'd put me, myself in the Born Identity the, and that whole series and many other of the books that I was reading. Others of the books. Anyway, bad grammar. And so that, that tended to work as well. You know, I could get deep into the story and at some point I would just fall asleep because my body would finally shut down. Um, and um, that was just all I could try to do. It's all I ever tried to figure out to do, and, and, and it carried me through. You know, I wound up with a sleep deficit coming out of my teenage years. Uh, I was able to catch up on the sleep deficit from the age of 20 to age 22. Uh, but within, you know, about five years, I was getting into sleep deficit again. And only now am I finally permanently getting out of that deficit because I'm prioritizing sleep. So that's good. And you know why I'm able to do that is because I have my wife... And I can talk to her about why sometimes I still struggle. And I don't very much anymore. I'm so exhausted. And I've really settled a lot of the anxiety in my own heart in, when it comes to sleep or anything like it. And so I'm generally okay. But a funny thing happened. We went camping the other night uh, by request of my wife. And it was great. We had a, such a nice time with the kids. Lots of fun stories. Lots of fun songs. Well, mostly stories and games. Not songs. Songs would have been fun. Uh, I think next time I'd like to like read a, read from a story around the fire. That'd be rad. 
Um, but I struggle to camp to, to sleep while camping. Like when I say struggle, I mean I I don't even struggle. I just lie there doing nothing, not sleeping, just doing nothing. And I was comfy. We have a really good air mattress. It's like 14 inches tall or something, maybe more. Uh, so we're not cold. I was comfy and cozy, and my wife's right there sleeping in her blissful, peaceful cuteness, and I um, couldn't fall asleep. And that is the case for camping. I just can't fall asleep. I think there's some sort of anxiety there. I'm not sure what's going on, uh, but I don't remember the last time I slept while camping. So um, next time we camp, um, I'll figure something out. I might take a little bit of NyQuil. You know what? I don't recommend it, guys. This is not a medical show, but I got to try something. So that's the sleep anxiety, nighttime anxiety. So um, I want to get into a few other interesting things. Now, before I get into those other things, I want to point out why I'm saying this. Why is this, uh, you know, apropos to telling stories about growing up in a cult? Because I was alone, but I was surrounded by 30, 50 other people sometimes, you know. I, I, I lived in the same house with... 12, 13 other boys, and there were a couple of grown men in there who were our caretakers, and I was struggling to sleep, and I had no, nobody to turn to. I had no resources that I could use except for what was in my own head. That's not how it's supposed to be. We shouldn't be alone. We shouldn't feel like there's nobody to turn to to get advice on how to deal with this lack of ability to sleep. We should be able to go get some help, some advice, maybe some care, some medical care, but I didn't have that because there was nobody I could trust. You know, I could have trusted the kids, but what were they going to do? They were probably going to laugh at me and say, just, Jared, go to sleep. Um, although some of them may have been having nighttime anxiety too. I don't know. Um, but that that isn't a good way to live. And, you know, so I think about my kids. Our kids are, you know, in some cases, they do struggle to sleep. And so every so, so often when they struggle to sleep, we talk it through. We try to figure out what's going on and we give them some advice and they can do something and they try things. And for the most part, the kids now are able to sleep well because we are here and they don't have trauma around it for the rest of their lives. And my trauma is basically gone, um, which is great. But I bet some of you out there might have some because maybe you are alone as well. And I'm sorry. But that, that is the situation when you're gro when, when growing up in this cult the way I did, is that there wasn't anybody to trust, to turn to and say, what's going on? Why, why can't I sleep every night? Why do I struggle to fall asleep? You know, it was just another, um, I don't know, another symptom of the isolation that I experienced growing up in that cult. And a quick pause for kind of station identification, you could say, and we'll get back into this. Okay, and we're back. So, uh, again, that sense of not being able to, or that experience of not being able to go anywhere because I didn't even know where I'd start, you know, and trying to get some help for my the sleep anxiety, that was the case. That was simply an incontrovertible case. That was all I knew, and I didn't know any different, and I didn't even think that I should know any different because that was simply my experience. Now, move on to say something like every, in, in, in the spring, in the summer, uh, in Dallas, uh, Denver, um, certainly uh, when we were at Angel Canyon slash Best Friends building during the summers, um, you know, every couple of weeks I'd get this, I'd get this hair, you know, it would be stuck. Somehow I'd like breathe in a hair at night and it, it was just in the back of my throat, but also reaching up to my nasal cavity. And it just seemed to be flicking my, my every, every breath seemed to flick it and it itched. It itched back there, you know, it, it was like, 
why couldn't I get rid of this hair? So I drink a lot of water and kind of gargle it and try to get this hair out of, out of my sinus slash throat cavity um, and uh, couldn't do it. And so I'd be, always be making these <laughs> sounds. I'm sorry for the gross sound there. And I'd be working my mouth and the back of my throat to try to get rid of this hair that was itching so much there. Uh, every so often it even made my eyes water just a hair, just a smidgen, you know, and I just couldn't get rid of it. Um, but it, you know, what am I going to say to somebody? I've got a hair at the back of my throat and I can't, don't know how to deal with it. But it also happened a fair, a fairly, not often, but it happened with some regularity, uh, especially in the springs and summers, which, you know, I never noticed until later when I found out what was going on. But then, then my friends, uh, many years later, uh, I was, I'd been out for some time and I, out of the cult, uh, and I was, uh, working on a service project with some, uh, colleagues and we were clearing some major, terrible, terrible dry weeds from a, a, a community member's yard and um, a neighborhood member's, you know, yard. And I, my eyes suddenly just kind of broke out, and they were they were just weeping. My eyes were weeping like crazy. I was teared up. My breathing got a little bit labored. Uh, my throat closed a little bit. I sniffled and sniffled and snorted and couldn't do it. And my, that was that hair was back. And I and I had some friends very nearby, Jeff and Pam Mosdell. Jeff and Pam, I don't know if you hear this this podcast, but you should. I'm waving at you. I love you guys. My big brother and big sister right there. What a, what a dear, dear family they are. I went and sat on sat down on their couch and tried to recover from it. Um, and I, it was weird. And um, I think it was Pam comes in and said, Jared, whoa, do you have allergies? And I said, no. And she said, um, you sure look like you do. And that's about all I can remember because kathoom, a lightning bolt had struck in my head. I had allergies, guys. That hair my whole life that I sometimes would get back, get caught in the back of my throat. That was allergies. It was allergies, my friends. Um, that's hilarious and terrible. I mean, what on, what in the world? I... I I went my whole life. I was I was probably in my 20s at that point. And, and I only just figured out that this thing, this very uncomfortable thing that I'd been experiencing my whole life, you know, not all the time, but my whole life was allergies. And you could take a pill and it would go away, you know? So hours and days and sometimes weeks of semi-discomfort and right at that point, terrible discomfort could be solved with medicine. Um, so thank you, dear friends, for telling me about that uh, late later in, in, in my young life. Uh, and now my allergies are solved. And I have a funny thing to share about that, but it, it, uh, it, I'll just make it brief. It's not a cult story so much as it's a post-cult story. But isn't that funny, you know, that I just, again, never felt like I could tell anybody about that. Um, I just, I mean, why would I, right? It was just this thing that I would experience. Whereas my kids, they'll come and tell us about literally anything, anything Dad, my throat hurts. Have you had water today? No. Drink some water. Dad, my throat doesn't hurt anymore. You got it. All right. Um, they'll tell us about any malady, anything. Dad, look, I got a little scratch on my finger when I was weeding. Good. Go back out and get some more scratches. Anything. And I love it. I don't begrudge them one little bit, but we didn't tell, or I didn't tell anybody anything. Why would I? I didn't trust him. You know, I didn't feel comfortable with him. I didn't feel close to anybody. I felt like I would always be judged. And if I ever did, if it ever did occur to me that I might tell someone about stuff, these things that were happening to me, um, but it rarely did occur to me to 
even think about telling people that something was going on that I didn't understand. I just figured this was life. This was what I had to deal with. This was normal, um, except for that all of these things had solutions that I didn't know about, that an adult could have told me and solved within seconds. So that's, that's, that's a shame, right? I mean, that's a shame. Weep with me, my friends. I'm over it. But that is the juxtaposition of cult life and family life. Kids are entitled to parents who will be utterly and totally concerned with their lives, who will be intimately involved with their day-to-day, and who will be able to notice if they're constantly making a weird back-of-their-throat noise to kind of itch at, uh, or scratch at a weird itch back there. That's how I discovered that our oldest had allergies. He made these noises and like, I've heard that noise. I made that noise most of my teenage years. Thomas, do you have allergies? And like, I don't know. Like, does your that back of your throat itch? Yeah. Do your eyes itch just a little bit? Oh, yeah. And do you feel kind of sniffly a lot? Oh, yeah. Here, take this medicine. It's gone. So there you go. Um, it's a very stark difference, right? Okay, some other ailments that were interesting and how they were dealt with in the cult. All right, so um, I've always had a throat... A throat. I didn't say that very clearly. Excuse me. I'll use it in my do it in my radio voice. I've always had a throat. Yeah, I have a throat. We all do. Uh, that seems very. Why we spend a lot of time on the throat? Anyway, that seems very open or vulnerable to um, the ailments to to sore throats. M- the most common um, illness I've ever I've had in my whole life was sore throats. When I was younger, man, I got a lot of sore throats. I, I, I probably had a sore throat every four to five months. Um, I know that doesn't sound like a lot to some of you guys. You know, I know a lot of you guys out there, you know, are suffering all the time. Chronic pain, chronic illness. I don't want to diminish that one little bit. Um, I pray that you're getting the treatment and the clarity you need in order to um, cope with it and handle it well. But in my case, I got a, a, a sore throat every every few months, it seems like. Uh, sometimes maybe more often, too. And every so often it would turn into a bad cold and sometimes it would turn into a flu. Uh, When it was a cold, I was on my own. Um, I would, uh, unless an adult noticed, if an adult noticed, they'd get peeved at me for coughing or sneezing near them. And they'd say, go gargle some warm water with salt or something. Uh, In one case, somebody said kind of genteely to me, Jared, have you tried warming up some water with some lemon and, and maybe a little bit of honey? Like, we're out of lemon. We never had lemon. Uh, or we haven't had lemon in years or something. Go get some lemon. Have Jonathan buy you some or something. Um, but, yeah, nobody would do anything about it. So I'd get this cold, and the cold will eventually go away. But every so often, it would turn into a flu. The worst flu, the first time it was a really bad flu, I should say, rather, I was probably nine. I was living in Denver. Uh, and, uh, my dad happened to be living there at the same time. So that was kind of handy. I think he may have come, come to live there for a bit to help them move from the downtown places that we lived at to the kind of Arvada area that we moved to that was surrounded by fields, which I've talked about too. Um, and, uh, he was there and he saw me ill. I mean, I was so sick. I, I couldn't even stand upright. And when I was lying down, if my eyes were open, I felt dizzy. It was that bad. Uh, bad fever, bad chills and stuff, and no adults really seemed to give a crap. Um, they just said, whatever, stay home, just stay, go to sleep. And so, yeah, I would sleep. I would just sleep. And if I was lucid enough or 
able to move and open my eyes, I would read as long as I could manage. But otherwise, it was just on my back, prostate, prostrate, not prostate, prostrate, uh, eyes closed. Uh, the, 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 the second day I had this really bad flu, uh, it was terrible. I had the shakes. I was shivering. I couldn't stay warm. I couldn't stay cold. It was weird. Um, everything hurt. My back felt like it was bending into my stomach and trying to rip out my front and sides at the same time. It was bizarre. Um, I, I went, went to bed fairly early and my father, who I called Enoch at the time, because that's what his name was, came in and said, okay, Jared, uh, we're going to get rid of this flu. Now, my friends, what do you do to get rid of a flu? If you don't say something like take ibuprofen, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. That's how you kill a flu is you give a medicine. Well, he said, we're going to get rid of this flu. And then he put a blanket on me, a second one. I already had one. And then he put another one on me. And then he put one more blanket on me. I had four blankets on me. And my temperature, I can only guess, you know, it had to be at least over 100, probably up to 102 or 3. And we all know if we've done any kind of research that a temperature of like over 104 can actually do damage to you. Then the higher it gets, the closer you get to possible brain damage. And my dad would, if I brought this up to him, I know he's not listening to this, but if you are, hey dad, I love you. Uh, he, he, he knows better now. He's an he's a extremely professional and experienced medical professional. But that's what he did. And it was nice that he took some time and was solicitous in the fact that he said, we're getting rid of this fever um, by throwing four blankets on me total. Uh, so I had a warm night, uh, I, but mercifully I fell asleep fairly quickly, uh, after some shaking and shivering and tossing. And then I woke up in the morning a little earlier than usual and everything around me was drenched. My sheet was drenched under me and on top of me, my pillow and pillowcase were just soaked. Uh, at least the first blanket on top of the, the sheet on top of me was, was damp and my, the underwear I slept in was soaked wet, and I was clammy. Not sick, though, but I was just sweaty. My, my brow and my hairline was all sweaty. Sorry for the bad, bad images. And I was alive, and the fever was gone. And I went to school that day. So that's a fun thing. Uh, and that is pretty much how I treated uh, flus for the rest of my life until... I don't know, the last time I had a flu, which was probably eight, five or eight years ago. I'm not going to wood because uh, I don't get sick a whole lot. Um, and I pray I don't, I continue to not get sick a whole lot. Um, but yeah, the idea was, you know, try to keep the flu at least to a manageable level, but then just let it burn. I got really sick in Brazil doing my church mission, uh, bad bronchitis. And I woke up for three or four days in a row with my face glued to my pillow with the nasty. Um, it was bad news. Uh, but I was also piling blankets on me to try to kill my fever, and that was that. Um, I don't recommend my practice, but also, what are you going to do? You're in a cult. You have no other recourse, so that's that. Um, and that that is kind of the sum of, of my ailment issues growing up. Um, if something hurt me, if I felt like I might have gotten hurt really bad, um, I would just see if I could fix it myself. You know, I... Uh, Mark and I were r riding our bikes around the block in Denver when we were living downtown. We were going fairly fast as we do because why wouldn't we, right? I mean, it's a bike. You can go fast, but we're on sidewalks. Uh, Mark suddenly falls right in front of me, maybe 10 feet. I don't have any, anywhere near enough time to stop, um, but I try to I do my best. But I stop 
probably just enough to not die. Uh, my bike front tire hits his bike, which has fallen down. Uh, I somehow flip over his bike and I land mostly on my chin. And you know what I did there? I got up, put my hand on my chin. By the time we got home, uh, the bleeding had most had definitely slowed. And I um, put a band-aid on it for a week or two, and I was good. Uh, when I was seven, I borrowed, uh, I snuck my oldest brother, Daniel. I snuck his, his pocket Swiss Army knife, uh, opened it, and just goofed around for a little while. And then I tried to scrape... Uh, a little paint chip off the cot that I slept on. My bed was a cot, a, an old army-type cot. Um, you know, they unfold. They've got a, a tight piece of green canvas. That was my bed. It was great. It wasn't great, but that was my bed. Trying to scrape a, a paint chip off, and it slipped. And I cut my finger, and I'm like, oh, shoot. And it was my right index finger. And I, and I was like, oh, shoot. I squeezed it for a second, then put it in my mouth and tried to get down the stairs to try to find a Band-Aid. Uh, but my mouth filled up really fast with blood. That's gross and coppery. And so I grabbed it ran into the bathroom and wrapped some toilet paper around as tight as I could and I squeezed it and went downstairs to try to find a Band-Aid. But as I went downstairs, Daniel saw me. It's like, Jared, your your hand is dripping blood. What'd you do? Did you use my, did you steal my pocket knife? And I'm like, yeah, and it slipped. Um, no, I, no, I first lied and said, no, no, uh, my cot folded on it and I cut my finger on that. But that wasn't true and I finally did fess up, I think. Gosh, I hope so. Oh, shoot. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. I forget. Uh, finally, Magdalene, my mother, uh, who was the leader of that particular branch, as far as I know, um, she found out. And she, what I had done was I'd cut from my the tip of my finger down about uh, three quarters of an inch onto my finger. Um, I'm pointing at it right now. If you were here, you could see uh, just the flesh, not just 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 right shy of the nail bed. And a flap was there, uh, fairly well attached at the bottom part, but the top part down about three quarters of an inch was flappy. Uh, she took me into the, her office. She poured a cup of hydrogen peroxide and she said, okay, stick it in there and hold it in there for a little while. <laughs> and that's what I did. And, you know, blood came out and got fuzzy and foamy. And then she took my finger out uh, and put a bandaid around it really tight to stop the bleeding and to keep it under control. And that's how that finger was dealt with. It's, it should come as no surprise that I didn't feel like I should go to people because that sucked. Uh, in any case, there you go. That's what growing up in a cult and getting sick and having anxiety uh, was like, alone. And like I couldn't go to anybody. And mysteries like uh, the scratchy hair were solved many, many years later with a pill. Uh, and, uh, you know, ibuprofen became a godsend for me. Um, yeah, so that, that those are my stories for today. I don't recommend um, growing up in a cult, my friends, or even most communes tend to be fairly, fairly dysfunctional after some time. Uh, that was episode 29, Nighttime Anxiety and Other Ailments, such as Allergies. And uh, next episode is 30. It's actually post- Post-Cult Story 2, uh, Don't Cut Off My Hand, Bro. I've got as many as eight more episodes, and then this, ep this, this season's done, and so is the podcast. So stay tuned, tell your friends, tell your enemies, review, and as always, stay thirsty, my friends. I'll see you uh, for episode 30. Thanks, everybody.